Welcome to PwC's Accounting Podcast Series. Our mission is to inform and educate accountants and other stakeholders on today's most important accounting issues. I'm Heather Horn, a partner in PwC's national office and the host of this series. For today's episode, we're turning our attention to Capitol Hill and the impact of politics and public policy on the financial statements. I'm pleased to welcome Roz Brooks, U.S. Public Policy Leader for PwC, for a discussion on how what's happening in Washington may impact financial reporting. So let's get started. Roz, thanks so much for joining us today. Really looking forward to a discussion of what's going on on Capitol Hill and how we as accountants should be thinking about it. Uh, so why don't we jump straight into the accounting rules and specifically talking about the FASB. And recently we've seen some congressional action related to the FASB, and I know there's been sort of a history of this. So maybe for our listeners, can you kind of give some context of the history and then what we're seeing now? Thanks, Heather. So from my perspective, when I think about history and accounting rules, and I'm sure there will be those in our audience who can go back farther than what I'm going to go back, <laughs> but I think about when I first came into this space, um, it was early 2000s, and it was focused on expensing of stock options, right? That was the, the thing du jour. I think at that time, the CEOs of the large accounting firm signed a letter kind of to Congress that was a big deal for, like, for us being involved where people were focused on accounting standards and kind of how that all worked. And so, but we've seen increasingly, I think over, especially in recent years, think, I think about Dodd-Frank when fair value accounting became a big topic because the argument was being made that it was creating a cyclical effect on balance sheets. And it was kind of the, the position to, everyone started looking at FASB and it was, no, it's not the accounting that's causing, the accounting it's is the just, refl right, yes. it's just <laughs> reflecting what is actually happening. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, what we haven't really had a lot of activity, but there was congressional interest on was um, recently lease accounting, RevRAC, when those rules kind of came out, and most recently it's been Cecil. And so I think what's been interesting to see from my vantage point is that issuers and or those who, when it's time to implement these rules, get concerned about, about the implementation they've recognized and realized that there is a growing ability to go to Congress and say, hey, there's an economic impact to this accounting rule that's about to be put into place, and it's going to cause problems with us being able to, you know, insert issue here, lend, or, right. you know, be able to borrow. It's going to cause some kind of effect on the economy. And that gets Congress members motivated and interested. And the challenge becomes, I think, because Congress doesn't have a direct line to FASB in terms of direct oversight, they have oversight of the SEC, which in turn has oversight, approves FASB's rules, there is a tension that arises when Congress, members of Congress are saying to FASB, writing letters to FASB, you need to do something, we're hearing this. And from the position on the other side, there's been a process that's occurred and it's happened. This is the outcome. Mm -hmm. What is it you now want us to do? So it's kind of the tension that arises, kind of being able to, how do you release some of that tension while at the, at the same time not go back and completely redo the process that you've had. And so I think that's why we've seen bills, especially around this most recent slate of, um, of issues, really you've seen bills be introduced by members who just feel extremely frustrated that they're not able to get more out of FASB or more from FASB. So 
I know we have two that have been in introduced recently, one from Congressman Luchtemeyer that would require the FASB to be subject to the Administrative Procedures Act, which is something that the SEC and other regulatory agencies, executive branch agencies, are subject to and required to. And in the grand scheme of things, it's kind of like, okay, Sunshine Act notices and kind of whatever, but there are also rules related to how you promulgate rulemaking and then the process for appealing those rules that kind of would change a little bit how FASB approaches things. And then the second bill from Congressman Gonzalez is more specifically targeted at Cecil and still thinking about an implementation delay, which honestly speaking, like just from, from what I've heard on the Hill, the tension is ratcheted down around the specific implementation concerns around Cecil. But haven't totally dissipated, as I said, around the broader issue of how can Congress have more of an influence around FASB. So. Yeah, it's sort of interesting, though, because I think sort of the flip side, understanding that side, the flip side would be, I think one of the strengths, or people would say one of the strengths of our system is the fact that FASB is independent and doesn't have to consider sort of the political landscape in its rulemaking. Well, that's certainly where we agree, <laughs> where we <laughs> tend to engage with members that we have relationships with to stress the importance of maintaining the independence and standard setting. And so most members that we talk to on both sides of the aisle, they agree with that. Uh, but at the end of the day, they also feel like there has to be from their perspective, some type of recognition mm -hmm. that um, as they think about it, and remember these are not always accountants or, or um, people familiar with the system in the way we might be, that there has to be some kind of recognition that accounting rules have impact is kind of their, right. their view, right? right? So you'll hear and see a lot of language about, well, when they're promulgating these rules, they should think about the impact it has, the economic impact it has or the ability, the impact it has on the ability to lend or, or kind of existing credit. And you don't want to be pejorative with members of Congress. So you don't <laughs> say like, these are things that kind of come out in the comment process, right. that come in the deliberations. But, you know, if that's where we end up, like in terms of just having a broad statement that these things should be considered, that's better than Congress legislating that FASB has to come under their jurisdiction or appropriations have to come from them. Or right, because like I think, I mean, you can see their perspective that they have this constituent that's worked up, that for they sure. really do feel like there's an impact on them. And so that is part of their role, right, is to advocate for, for sure. their, their people. So then maybe going back to the history lesson, have we seen an impact from all of these past actions? Or is it always sort of, as you said, some of the tension gets let out of the system and then things kind of go back to the way they were? Well, but that's the challenge, right? I think for us, when we look at the system, we think the independence of FASB is a good thing and right. that the, the process works. And if you think about rules that have been promulgated, we haven't had, you know, in the history of, of you know, think about the time that I'm even talking about, the last 20 years, we're talking about maybe two for sure, and maybe, you know, noise around two more. Right. And it's kind of like, okay, in the grand scheme of now. That's pretty small in the yeah, grand scheme of for, things. For all point. our listeners, though, I'm not referring at all to the whole international set of accounting standards, so IFRS and kind of that whole right. um, question that did come into play a lot, both for the SEC and Congress, in terms of, I'm just speaking more more generally about the uh, accounting rules that we promulgate. For under yep. U.S. GAAP. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yep. that makes sense. And then maybe just last question before we go on. So then, and I might ask you this again on some other topics. Yeah. If you had a crystal ball, any prediction, or it's more just we should wait and see 
what comes next from this most recent discussion? So I'm always going to be in the wait and see camp. <laughs> yeah. But I also say that we deal in informed speculation. It's just what we right, do. That's, our that's job. part of our job. <laughs> yeah. So um, I really do think that at this particular time, what we believe is that that you will likely see a hearing next year, probably in the first part of next year, focused on FASB and its process, because there are certain members that have just been very vocal and continue to be vocal with Chairwoman Waters about wanting a hearing. And so we have heard from staff that you're likely to see a hearing on the issue next year. That does not, that's a long way from saying that they're willing Sounds to move legislation or that you'll see something go to the floor. But that's a first step. So we'll be watching it closely. And then if you, you know, from a listener perspective, if there's, I'm sure people listening thinking, yes, it's good. They're getting involved. You know, I don't like these standards either. Or <laughs> there's right. people listening saying, oh, it's like the critical importance of independence of FASB. I mean, if people are wanting to weigh in on this debate, is there even really a good way to do that? Yeah, I would suggest like many things, you reach out to your member of Congress. There's also, um, if you look at those who sit on the House Financial Services Committee, which is where these issues are debated and where the hearing would, would occur, look to see if you have a member that's on that committee. And even if you don't, as a citizen, sending a letter or email to the chair, Chairwoman Waters or the ranking member, McHenry, um, and just putting forth your views and just kind of letting it be known, I think is a great way to be civically engaged. I don't know that they get many yes, letters people, like that on Especially these. about accounting. <laughs> that's right, on so, these issues. So. Yeah, okay, that's good. So why don't we move on to our next topic, and this is changing gears a little bit outside of accounting, but something that's very important, I think, to all of our listeners, which is privacy. And that's been a big topic of conversation, obviously a lot of hearings on yep. data privacy and yep. other things. So just another open-ended question, what do we expect to see here? What should people be thinking about as they watch what's happening with respect to privacy? Yeah, so privacy is one of those areas, I feel like privacy is a little bit like housing reform. Like we've, like we've been talking about it for seemingly a long time and it's something that you know members are interested in right. and they want to do something about. The challenge with privacy is that you have a number of committees that have jurisdiction in, in the Congress and that just creates problems. So three committees in the House, three committees in the Senate, mm. and the details get in the way yeah. of, of actually trying to, because you think we've had Equifax, we've had a number of other breaches that have occurred, and no bill, right? Right, and so right. It's, yeah, and it's huge. Right, yeah. and, and so the challenge is now, or as we think about it from a policy perspective, now that the states, some states have started to act, so you have California, obviously, that has come forward with their privacy law. You have GDPR that exists. Mm -hmm. and, and we have heard that the administration is, they would like to do something around privacy because they do feel like to a certain extent the US has ceded some of its authority right. given that GDPR is kind of out there and, and is the standard that a lot of people are looking at. And so you think about those two in particular, and there, there was a, a hearing earlier this year that focused on those two laws in particular, but it's putting a little bit of pressure on Congress to say, okay, we've got to do something before we get a patchwork of laws in mm -hmm. the U.S. and then we kind of have the, the global law that, or the, the European law that, that people are, are talking to us about, our constituencies are talking to, to us about. So recently you saw two California members, Congresswomen Zoe Lofgren and Anna Eshoo, put forth a draft legislation that would create a new agency. It would do like a lot of things, which I can just say 
is not where the vast majority of discussion has been around mm -hmm. data privacy kind of in the Congress. And so it's not clear. We know that there are House committees that are working through their own versions and they're supposed to come out with draft legislation. There are senators, a bipartisan effort in the Senate to try to put forth something that, that could be passed. And we're just in a holding pattern to wait and see. There'll, be a, there'll continue to be hearings and a lot of noise. And hopefully, you know, you might see something that emerges, if not the end of this year, next year, in terms of draft legislation that could really force kind of more detailed conversation around things. But for now, I would say I'm not holding my breath to say that we're going to get a privacy bill, you know, before Anytime 2020. Soon. Right? Yeah. 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 For our listeners, if just stepping back to yeah. the financial statements, then I think the key thing here is disclosure, making sure you have the right policies in place, and then within your company, looking Absolutely. at your own policies. So and continuing to watch this, obviously, so you're prepared with whatever yes. happens. Yes. Yes. And I guess that then that leads us into our next conversation, which is trades and tariffs. And um, this is something I've had Chris Benko here mm -hmm. on a webcast and podcast and various conversations um, that we've been kind of reiterating about just from a financial statement disclosure perspective. And as you look in your business, this is a key risk for a lot of companies. And so how should you be thinking about it? And I think for a lot of us, you read the newspaper, mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to mm -hmm. figure out how you should be thinking mm -hmm. about it. So if you were going to give us your quick summary, where, where do you think this is going and, and what would you focus on? Yeah, well, you're not alone. Uh, <laughs> and not understanding. Not worth, because in DC, <laughs> even inside the Beltway, it's kind of like, okay, what what's the right. focus this week? But I would say there is one thing that has always um, been interesting to me, and that is where both Democrats and Republicans tend to agree on the issue of China. And whether or not they agree with the president's approach to whether it's the tariffs or, or kind of whatever, they agree that something should be done or something um, should have been done. So. That is an area, um, although we've seen like the phase one that's kind of come in that the president um, has announced in terms of the U.S. and China moving forward and not advancing kind of with tariffs and China opening a little bit their, their agricultural um, pieces. We still see efforts in Congress to maybe stem the tide of investment going to China. Mm. So right now there are bills that are focused on keeping pensions from investing in Chinese companies on Chinese exchanges. There was once this idea floating around about do we somehow delist Chinese companies that are on the US exchanges? And I think the recognition of, you know, how do you do that without significantly impacting US investors mm -hmm. and kind of other like can can that really be done? That's we've heard less about that and um, although not to interrupt you but yeah. that goes to PCOB Absolutely. and their ability to have oversight over Absolutely. China and access to data and you know that's a whole other issue Absolutely that's where that kind of where we heard that stem from um, in the US China Commission report that was done that talked about the fact that without access how do you know how can you trust kind mm -hmm. of the reporting that's coming out of these companies which allowed members to kind of it, it fit right within their narrative of kind of concern about China and, and investment in and investment by um, China in the U.S. And so that kind of had sparked this notion. We saw a number of bills kind of introduced early on that were about potentially 
delisting from the from the exchanges and then you know it's funny because our our response when asked was all always i think you should talk to the sec and get their perspective about what that because when you think about the markets and kind of i don't think members had really thought through the kind of the implication investors etc but that is an area where i think there is still question about what Congress will do versus where the administration may be going. I think many people, the stock market certainly has been relieved, right? Um, right. A little bit of, of pressure released off of the notion that China and the U.S. are making progress and kind of advancing. But I don't think kind of for those that are looking at foreign investment or kind of have accounting implications from kind of um, investments they may have over there, it's it's not completely in the clear. Congress recently, our com- Committee on Foreign Investments in the U.S., um, CFIUS, which is a is a, a bill or legislation that controls kind of how you look at the ability of foreign countries to invest here. Like a lot of those areas were tightened up, and a lot of the requirements and kind of the rules were were tightened solely because of concerns around China. And so that's always going to be, I think, an area where there is the potential for something to happen because Democrats and and Republicans agree in theory kind of about, right. about the concern. Again, like everything else, it comes down to the details and so what, what we will actually see. But we think about, so China, USMCA is like the other thing that mm-hmm. the people, and you know, surprisingly, people say even with impeachment kind of in the background and going on, Democrats and the administration have been making progress on Issues that Speaker Pelosi had identified as of concern to potentially having Democrats vote on, they've really been having dialogue. Our understanding, you know, you hear inside the Beltway, is that um, Democrats have a good relationship with um, USTR Lighthizer, and so they really have been moving forward and, and trying to progress. The question is, are they able to do it before the end of this calendar year, right. given the timeline? with impeachment and or if you push it into 2020, how do election politics complicate the ability to kind of get something through? Right now, I think there's been talk that for for Democrats, there are some um, concerns like the union still may not be completely on board with some of the things. And so it's just a wait, it's still kind of waiting to see um, how, how this is gonna play out. And at some point, will the administration say, you know what? We're filing the paperwork to start the countdown on the clock. You, we've we've gone as far as we, yeah. we've gone as far as we can go. We're either going to get this done or we're not. So we'll see. I know that Chairman Richie Neal, who the, way, the House Ways and Means Committee, recently took a delegation over to Canada to kind of get people to understand the impact and talk about what's involved in USMCA. So there, there, there's more openness than I think people would have thought there was. And the question is just, can it get over the finish line right. before everything gets muddled with yeah. 2020 politics? So yeah. wait and see might be our theme yep. today then. Yeah, and that's the, Wait and see. Yeah. There you go. So then why don't we move to our last topic, which would just be with the election coming and sort of what's next. And obviously you mentioned impeachment, and I, I will not ask you to predict Thank what you. you think is going Thank to happen you. on that. Thank you. Um, but maybe putting impeachment aside, just as we look ahead to 2020, any other thoughts you'd like to leave us with? The only thing that I can say that I'm sure most listeners are abiding by anyway is, and I know this is our terrible theme, of wait and see. <laughs> yeah. Because... Most of the Democratic candidates are coming out with their plans on various topics and various issues. You've got proposed taxes on the Yeah, it's a lot of angst from some of them. Yes. Um, But 
until you know who the nominee is. Like some of it will push the discourse to different places and, and have people take different positions. But until you're closer to a nominee, and at least for better or for worse, in this new kind of environment of the timing of the primaries, mm -hmm. like by the first quarter of next year, we'll pretty much have an idea where the Democratic Party stands. I, I would think, let's, I, who knows, okay? But, but you, that's the, that yeah, you will predict. Right, like that, we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll attempt to kind of stay within that prediction yeah. model of saying, first quarter of next year, you have a better idea, and then kind of starting to focus on, okay, what are the policies of that person, person or persons, right. if it's to kind of what, and, and focus then on kind of what's happening from a business perspective until you have a potential nominee. It's, it's just hard to kind of analyze all the plans because none of them may come to fruition. Right. right. All right. Well, good. Well, Roz, really want to thank you for visiting with us today. Uh, definitely with all the waiting and seeing, it sounds <laughs> like we will need to have you back, whether on our webcast or for another podcast, just as things unfold, but really good information and like to thank you. Thanks, Heather. I very much appreciate it, Todd. That does it for this week. And for all of you traveling next week for Thanksgiving, don't worry, we won't leave you hanging. There'll be a new episode released on Tuesday. So if you find yourself waiting in the airport, like me, or even if you're staying local, join me as I go back to the basics with guest Nicole Berman, a director in our national office who specializes in compensation-related matters to discuss accounting for pensions. To make sure you catch next week's episode, Subscribe to our podcast series wherever you find your content. And I'd love to hear from you, so please reach out to me on LinkedIn with questions, suggestions, or just to connect. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.